This is Dr. Carissa Hines of Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Information without understanding is not very helpful. Talk with the doctor and feel like you're talking to a friend. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Atlanta and elsewhere. You are tuned in live to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I am your host, Dr. Carissa Hines. I'm welcoming you to our show. Hope you are having a great Thursday. As always, I am happy to be here with you all today and just trying to get myself together here for our Facebook Live folk. I don't know that they can really see me. Hey, how y'all doing? It's kind of cut off today, it looks like. But anyway, I'm using some new equipment and got some bugs to work out apparently, but whatever. So hope you all are having a great, great week. And so as we always do, we will start our shout outs. So shout out to my number one fan. Hello, mom. I hope you are having a tremendous Thursday morning. Shout out to family in Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Houston, Texas, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Charlotte, North Carolina, Ladston, South Carolina, Macon, Georgia, Pensacola, Florida, Center, Alabama, Chesapeake, Virginia, Seattle, Washington, Washington, D.C., Centerville, Virginia, Opelika, Alabama, Lusby, Maryland, Newport News, Virginia, Temecula, California, Cedar Bluff, Alabama, College Park, Georgia, Hobbs, New Mexico, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Oxford, North Carolina, Woodbridge, Virginia, Gadsden, Alabama, Hampton, Virginia, Columbus, Georgia, and Memphis, Tennessee. As always, tell me where you are listening from, and I will shout out your city. And I thank you so much for allowing me to invade your ears for this hour every Thursday. I appreciate your support. You can listen to us live. We are live now. We are broadcasting live from the WWE Real 1100 AM studio here in Atlanta. You can stream this show on www.real1100.com and watch us on Facebook Live. And I am live on the Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa Facebook page now. So hello, Facebook world. How are y'all doing? We are a proud member of the Old Fashioned Health Network. And this show streams on that platform as well. Catch the rebroadcast. Again, if you are a part of our Facebook family, you can watch this show and any other show 
anytime you want because they are all um, they are all there. You can also find us on YouTube. We have our own channel, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. And we are not only a radio show, not only an education movement, we are a podcast and can be found on the following podcast platforms iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Google, Captivate, Amazon, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Stitcher. So please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on social media. On Facebook, we are Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. On Instagram, at Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. And on Twitter, at Minutes Doctor. That is always a mouthful. But anyway, hope you all are doing well. Well, I am doing great. I had a great morning meeting here of some things that I want to accomplish with my life. And so that is going very, very well. I'm going to try and adjust this here. Let's see. That's a little bit better. So, all righty. As we always do with our coronavirus update. So we are at 34 million cases in the United States. Uh, with an unfortunate 313,000 deaths. And as always, uh, we extend our condolences and prayers for comfort to the family of the lost due to this pandemic. Um, As of July 12th, there have been 184 million Americans that have been vaccinated with at least one dose and 159 million uh, Americans that are fully vaccinated. And what do we mean by fully vaccinated? We say fully vaccinated is if you are two weeks out from either your second dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech or Moderna product or two weeks out from the one shot of Johnson & Johnson Of course, we have to talk about the Delta variant because that is becoming or maybe has even become the dominant variant strain uh, of this coronavirus pandemic. And what we are seeing now, uh, we're seeing resurges of um, in terms of numbers of cases and in terms of hospitalizations that those are spiking again um, and and it seems to ha- be happening in um, pockets of community so it is not a widespread um, experience like it was this time last year however what we are seeing in the medical community is that the majority of people who are sick enough to be hospitalized are unvaccinated Um, And I think it's like 98, 99% um, of unvaccinated individuals have been hospitalized or hospitalized individuals have not been vaccinated. I think that's a better way to say that. So please, please, please get your vaccination. Um, As I have shared with you all in the past, I have been vaccinated as has a good number of my family members. Um, And so of course, I would not recommend something to you that I would not do myself. Um, My child has been vaccinated as well. um, Because you know, I just don't want anyone to Um, You know, if you get sick, you get sick, you know, that happens. But with this and particularly with this Delta variant, um, you know, if you get sick, the chances are you can die. And we still don't know any rhyme or reason as to, you know, any predictive models as to who will just get sick and who is at risk for dying. And so I don't want anyone else to have to go through um, this level of loss. So please consider um, getting vaccinated yourself. Um, There are lots of sources for information out there. 
Um, and of course, you know, I'd like to consider my source of myself a source of information for you. So if you have any questions about um, COVID or about the vaccine, please hit me up on the Facebook page, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa, and I will be happy to answer um, your questions. In other medical news, uh, Johnson & Johnson has decided to recall five sunscreens uh, due to traces of benzene in some samples um, of product. So benzene is a chemical that in you know higher doses is linked to cancer. And so um, there are two types of the Johnson & Johnson uh, sunscreen product, the Neutrogena product and the Aveeno uh, product. And as I said, benzene, a cancer-causing substance, was found in some samples, which has prompted this recall. Um, as of today, arrangements are being made uh, for facilitating the return of, of product. Um, so I don't know, you know, if you can take that back to your store and get a refund. I don't know how that all is working yet, and I'm sure that those details are to come. But I will say um, that the levels, um, and this is what has been reported um, in the Wall Street Journal, um, that the levels of um, the benzene that have been detected um, are not expected to cause any major health issues. Um, so this is just something that is, it sounds like that's something that is just precautionary. Now, there are other sunscreen products out there. And as it is summertime and we are out and about enjoying the sun, we definitely want to protect your skin. Even if you are a person of color, if you have skin, you can get skin cancer. So that, let me just put that out as an umbrella for you, right? So that way you know who needs sunscreen? Everybody, everybody that has skin. Um, and so, you know, of course, you want to uh, find a safe product and a product that you feel comfortable with. Uh, and so that is our opening segment. So what we're going to do is take a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, we'll get into our topic of today, talking about your ER visit. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you're listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. And we'll be right back after the break. This is fashion designer Edmund Newton. I'd like to tell you about Enmask.com. Enmask.com is my only source for non-surgical cloth masks. I've teamed up with Enmask.com to create and design a collection of limited edition masks. These masks are washable, reusable, breathable, and most importantly, fashionable. Shop online now at Enmask.com. That's E-N-M-A-S-K-S.com for quality masks made in America. Why choose Just for Pets Wellness Center? Compassionate pet care services featuring an experienced veterinary team to superior customer service in a caring and friendly environment. We offer individual attention and tailored treatment for each pet. Visit our website for more information at www.justthenumber4petsfl.vet or give us a call at 239-270-5721. One, two, one, two, 
welcome back. You are listening live to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I am your host, Dr. Carissa Hines. So today we are talking about your ER visit. So, um, you know, in trying to um, decide about this topic this week, so I'll, I'll just give you all a little bit of background. So I am trained in internal medicine, but I have been working in emergency medicine for about the past 18 years or so. Um, And so I don't know if you all knew that 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 is what I do. So I'm sure that you all can imagine, um, you know, the things that I've seen and my colleagues and I um, have seen. And so, you know, I always want have wanted to teach people about, um, you know, like what really happens in the emergency room, right. Um, But I have been somewhat hesitant about that because I don't want to um, so here comes the caveats right Um, but I don't want to tell anyone not to go to the emergency room that is not ever the advice um, that I would give however um, what I'm hoping you all will get out of this talk today is what you can expect when you go and why so I did a little something different today Um, I reached out to Facebook through my my private page and um, I asked people what would you want to know so the question that I asked let me find it because I pulled it up Um, hey Facebook family what questions do you have about your ER visit now I will tell you when you um, what I found out is when you leave that open-ended question there you get some really hilarious responses and I'm going to share some of those with you Um, but Let's just get started. So there are about 150 million emergency room visits each year. Um, And of course, you know, last year, I think that we saw um, somewhat of a decline because people were afraid to come out um, due to the pandemic. Um, But in general, that is what we have seen. And and every year it incrementally increases. Um, Right. So when we talk about... um, Who can receive emergency care, right? So everybody, anybody, if you feel you are having an emergency situation, then the emergency room is the place for you. Now, I said, if you feel you are having an emergency. So there is where the, um, a little bit of the perception changes, right? Um, because what a patient may perceive as an emergency and what I as a medical practitioner perceive as an emergency don't always, they don't always meet up. Those two perceptions don't always agree um, with each other. But that doesn't mean that you won't receive care in the emergency room because you will. And as a matter of fact, um, there is a law and I can't remember which law it is, but there's a law that says that if you show up to the emergency room that you have to be treated. Now, going to get a little into the weeds um, with that. Um, Receiving treatment doesn't mean that you get what you want, right? Um, It just means that you receive treatment for the condition that you state that you have. Now, so let's get into what is an emergency. And I'm sorry, my my phone keeps going out because I want to keep this page up about about the, um, the questions that, that you all asked of me. So when we talk about what is an emergency, so from a medical standpoint, an emergency is a medical condition such which that if you don't receive 
immediate intervention that something bad will happen to you. And when we say something bad, that you will either have very severe disability as a result of whatever is happening to you or the ultimate worst case scenario, you'll die, right? So it is, and that's it. That is what an emergency is, okay? So if I don't do something for you as a practitioner, the chances are that you will be harmed further or that you will die. It is not a issue of convenience, okay? It is not, an emergency is not, I couldn't get into my doctor and so therefore I am here and I'm having an emergency. That is not necessarily um, the truth, right? So doing that and, and, you know, and that is a very, very vague, intentionally vague statement and a very broad statement, right? Because as a person, as a patient, how do you know if you might die? You don't, but that's why you should come. And then let us help you um, help you sort through that and do interventions as they are appropriate. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things that I know what an emergency is when I see it, but I am hesitant to get very, very granular into defining that. And why is that? I'm not intentionally trying to to dodge that question, but I have seen things that on the surface don't look like an emergency situation, but turn into one. So I'll give you an example. And this just happened to me a couple days ago. So I took care of a patient who had been in a motor vehicle accident 10 days before, right? So on the day of the accident, they did go to another emergency room. And um, that person was concerned more so about their spouse. So they said, you know, let my spouse be be taken care of and I feel okay. So I'm not going to, I'm going to decline any emergency care, which you have your right to do that. But as that 10 days progressed, um, that person started having neck pain and shoulder pain, which um, when they walked in to the emergency room, Um, And, you know, telling me this story, they were thinking that they just had like a whiplash or a neck strain, um, you know, from being jostled around in in the emergency, you know, in the accident rather. And on the surface, that's what it looked like, because, as I said, this person walked in to the emergency room. Um, They didn't have any obvious deformity. So, you know, they didn't have any bones sticking out and everything looked the way it's supposed to look. This person was talking and, you know, in their right in their right mind. So, you know, and and of course, common things being common. A lot of people do suffer with whiplash or or cervical neck strain um, as a result of these minor fender benders. Well, what looked like a minor emergency case after we did his workup turned into a major emergency case because in the accident this person suffered a broken neck and had been walking around for the past 10 days with a broken neck. So sometimes what looks like a minor issue turns into a major issue. And so that is why I always encourage people when they've been in accidents, even if you feel okay, um, to just go and get that checked out like within 
that first few hours or day or two um, because you never know. And actually, this is the second time that I've experienced this particular um, scenario where there's been an accident. And now, you know, it's some days later and I walk in and, you know, my neck is broken, but I've been turning my head and doing all of those, um, all of those things with a broken neck, which can be very, very scary for the patient as well as for um, your practitioner. So, you know, always, it's always good to be better to be safe than sorry, is what I always tell people. So I would rather you come to the emergency room and for me to tell you that whatever this is, you're not going to die today or right in this minute, um, as opposed to you being at home or wherever you are truly experiencing an emergency and you don't have medical help right there. So what is not an emergency? So that, that was a question that I was asked as well. Um, so the one thing that I, I, I will say that is not an emergency, and this is the, the, about the only thing that I will put on the list. Finding out if you are pregnant is not an emergency. And I will say, unfortunately, I have had tons and tons and tons of people come to the emergency room for the sole reason of finding out if they are pregnant or not. They feel fine, they're not having any nausea, vomiting, no belly pain, no bleeding, nothing. I feel okay, I just wanna know if I'm pregnant or not. That's not an emergency. It never is. Um, I'm sorry, it's just not. You may be anxious to know. Uh, you may not have access to care otherwise, and that's fine. I'm happy to help you. However, you are not experiencing an emergency. So one of the things that comes up with people visiting the emergency room is the wait time, right? Why am I here so long? Why is it taking so long for me to get to the back? I am having an emergency. Well, so there is a thing called triage, and this is what we go by in determining who gets to go first. So a lot of people will complain to me and to, and to um, emergency room staff that I got here first and then this person just rolled in and went in and went in, you know, and I'm still sitting out here waiting. So I will say this, if you are in a situation where you can wait, that is actually a good thing because it means that you are not dying right at this moment because there are situations that we see in the emergency room, as I'm sure you can imagine, that absolutely cannot wait, that we have to intervene on. Otherwise, we fall into that risk of disability, risk of death type situation, right? So with triage, we determine who is most at risk of having death or disability if we don't intervene relatively quickly. So I'll give you an example. If two people show up to the emergency room at the same time, one person has vomited one time. So let's say they ate something bad and they started, started vomiting. And the other person comes in and they woke up all of a sudden 
they can't, their face is drooping, their speech is slurred, they can't move an arm. Well, between those two people, the person who looks like they're having a stroke is going to go first as opposed to the person who is just having some stomach upset. So it doesn't matter if stomach upset person came there and has been there for however many minutes. If this one rolls in either through the front door or through the emergency, the ambulance bay, um, that person is going to be taken care of first. Now that doesn't mean that we won't get to the stomach issue it means that we're just not going to get to the stomach issue right at this moment. And so that is what we do. Um, that is the determination that we make, um, you know, when we are meeting and encountering patients that come into the emergency room and how we decide, um, you know, who goes first. So, of course, you know, strokes, heart attacks, um, seizures, those things that are more serious. And I won't say that the stomach issue is not serious because of course it is serious to you. You don't feel well, but chances are you can hang out for a, a little while and let us take care of these more serious issues. Of course, you know, if you've been in any kind of trauma, that is going to be a thing that is going to bump, um, bump other things down on the list. Um, cardiac arrest. So, you know, if you come in with that, you know, we have to, you know, we can't just let that sit because, you know, the stomach pain, the, you know, the vomiting person has been here for 45 minutes already. So, you know, you cardiac arrest person, you just kind of hang out because they got here first. That is not at all how it ever, 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 ever works in the emergency room. So you should know that, you know, before you go, that if you are not having a life threatening issue, because, you know, let's be honest family okay some stuff is inconvenient it is inconvenient to be sick it doesn't feel good to be sick nobody wants that right I don't want it you don't want it but sometimes inconvenience is all that it is it is not a emergency okay so triage is how we use to determine who gets our attention first and then of course depending upon what your medical situation is, it may take me some time to get you situated, to get you sorted out, to get you stabilized, okay? So let's say, for example, that person that comes in with the facial droop and slurred speech and they can't move their arm, there are things that I have to do and attention that I have to give to that person that may be a constant attention. So I will say to you, if ever the emergency room doctor or the nurses do not leave your bedside, you have a serious condition happening that none of us can leave you or all of us cannot leave you. So it's not an issue of you just kind of coming in and we're gonna come in and see you and come in and draw labs and come in and take you to x-ray and then somebody's gonna come back and give you some medicine and then somebody's gonna come back and tell you what the labs looked like and all of that and then tell you what your disposition is. Are you getting admitted to the hospital? Are you going home? That's a lot of back and forth. But when you get into a situation where we are there, where I am there with you the entire time, you have a very, very serious condition. But 
let's look at that from the other standpoint of other patients. If the doctor is in with just one patient, then everybody else has to wait. Now, I have been in situations where I have multiple emergencies going on at the same time, and I'm just kind of hopping from room to room to room, doing what I can and then moving on. Um, but, you know, so for example, I'll, I'll give you an example. I've had someone been in a situation where someone was in danger of stopping breathing because they were having very severe asthma attack. Uh, someone came in that they had had a gunshot wound. Someone came in in cardiac arrest. Someone came in with chest pain and were having a heart attack. And all of these things are happening all at once. Um, depending upon the center that you go to, you may only have one doctor. And unfortunately, I can't split myself into four, but I can kind of stick and move. I can do what I can do and then kind of just keep circling back around. But in the meantime, that belly pain that is otherwise stable is still hanging out in the waiting area or they may be in a, in a patient room, but just not really getting a whole, whole lot of attention because, you know, that it, that is not what we can what we can do. So I hope that that's kind of I know that's kind of murky, but I hope that I have tried to make that somewhat clear. So now in terms of who goes first, your level of communication with the persons that you interact with. So the first person that you interact with when you come into the emergency room is going to be like your registration person where they're going to ask you, what is your emergency today? What is wrong with you today? If you minimize what's going on with you, we are going to take you at your word. So if you come in and let's say, you know, I cut my finger, I cut my hand. And that's all that you say. That's all that they're going to write down is that you cut your hand. Now, it could be that you just have a paper cut. And I have seen that come into the emergency room as well. Or it could be as I had a couple days ago, you ran your hand uh, accidentally into a saw. So yes, you have cut your hand, but yes, you are bleeding tremendously. Uh, and sometimes, um, you know, again, some, and, and that doesn't always come by ambulance because I have many times some of the worst things that I have had come into the emergency room have come in by car and not by ambulance. Speaking of coming in by ambulance, so what if I come in by ambulance? Does that automatically mean that I'm having an emergency? Nope, it does not. Again, it depends on what is what is going on with you, what is wrong with you in that moment. So, you know, there are some people who have come in by ambulance and feel that because they came by ambulance that they should be taken care of, but they just twisted their ankle. Now, sometimes you have to call 911 and be transported by ambulance because that's the only way that you're going to get to, you know, that's the only way that you're going to get there. And I understand that and I respect that because not everyone has uh, reliable transportation or transportation at all. And if you need help, you got to get to me however you can get to me. But just keep in mind that just because you get a ride in the ambulance does not mean that you are going to be at the top of that triage, uh, triage scenario, unless, of course, you are. So 
when we talk about why is the wait so long in the emergency room? A lot of factors go into that. So I tell people when you come to the emergency room, pack your patients. Um, because like I said, if you are not the center of my attention, that is a good thing for you because the people who are the center of my attention in the emergency room, um, are very, 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 very sick. So a lot of factors into the weight. So there is, um, the factor of bed availability. So if you are, particularly if you're in a small hospital system where you know some hospitals where I've worked some ERs where I've worked there have only been seven beds right or nine beds and once nine people are in their beds in those beds there is no more bed availability so other people have to wait to get into one of those rooms so we have to turn those rooms over um, as quickly as we can in giving patients the care that they need right Sometimes it's an issue of staff availability. So for example, um, recently I was at work and it's me and two nurses and one of my nurses got sick and had to leave. So now it is me and one nurse. And while we are trying to recruit help because not every nurse is qualified um, or credentialed even to work in the emergency room. So you can't just pull from wherever. Um, while we're waiting for, um, you know, help to arrive, waiting for the cavalry, right? Um, you know, things slow down. So we're gonna do the best that we can, but it's just that, it's just me and that one nurse, right? Um, and then of course, depending upon your situation or the situation that is happening in the emergency room. So for you all patients, there is what's happening in the waiting room and there's what's happening in the back. So I have patients coming into the emergency room two ways. You either come in through the front door, through the lobby, or you come in through the ambulance bay. Now, if you're out in the lobby, you may not see people rolling in um, through the ambulance bay, right? Um, but, you know, just kind of be be aware that there is other stuff going on besides what's going on with you. And also consider the possibility that you are not the sickest person in there. So, you know, just kind of, it, it, that requires you to kind of take yourself out of yourself for a minute, you know, just kind of step out of what's going on with you and take a broader view. Um, because like I said, if you're coming in with the, with the stomach issue, the stomach upset, um, and there's a gunshot wound in the back and a heart attack in the back and a motor vehicle accident in the back, then yeah, those things are going to get, um, are going to get the time and attention and, and the wait is going to happen for you. So, and that applies too, um, because one of the questions that we got was about, let me pull that up, about waiting to get admitted and waiting to go up to um, to a bed, right? Um, and so, yeah, as we are having staff shortages, so we are, um, so there are ratios, right? So you cannot have 50 patients and one nurse. That is an unsafe ratio. So if we don't have enough beds, so for example, if a tremendous amount of people are sick, 
and all of those people are taking up a hospital bed, you have to wait for a bed to become available. Or there may be empty beds, but not enough nurses to take care of all of the patients that have to go into that bed. So you may be in the emergency room where you have a nurse available to you until either more staff can be brought in or someone gets discharged and then you can take their place in that room. Y'all understand understanding that? Um, so, you know, we can't just flood the hospital and then there's no one to take care of you because that's going to result in a, a very, very bad outcome, I assure you, um, because you are not going to get the... Um, you are not going to get the care that you need. So I am going to go into, because I see this session is going by fast, so maybe I'll make a part two um, for this. So some questions from Facebook. So again, so the funny ones. What took so long to be seen for my ingrown toenail that has been there for two years? Well, again, nobody dies from an ingrown toenail. So depending upon what you have going on at your facility, um, that ingrown toenail is going to wait while I take care of heart attacks and pneumonias and strokes and, you know, all of that. So that was a funny question, but not, uh, but not unreal because that does happen and people get very, very upset um, that I am not taking their ingrown toenails with the seriousness that they feel that I should. Um, urgent care versus emergency room. How do you decide which one to visit? Um, so, um, and this person says, I'm obviously not talking about life-threatening situations. So if you feel that you are having a life-threatening situation, so I'm going to give you a couple examples. If you are having a seizure, if you are having, if you think you're having a stroke, if you are having chest pain, because that's another one. If you're having chest pain, go to the emergency room, because I would rather tell you that it's indigestion and send you home than you be at home having a heart attack and something bad happens to you. Right. Because that I've seen that happen too. seen a lot of things happen. So you're going to hear me say that a lot. Um, urgent care versus ER. So urgent care is more um, more appropriate for your minor emergency situations here. So let's say you fall down and maybe you think something is sprained or broken. You can go to the to the urgent care, excuse me. And many urgent cares have x-ray capability so they can take the x-ray and tell you is it broken is it not now when you go to the emergency to the urgent care excuse me they may send you to the emergency room because they have a certain capacity as to what they can do as well so they may be able to set that broken bone and put it in a splint but if you need surgery that's not going to happen at, at urgent care so just be aware that even if you go to urgent care, sometimes you may be sent to the emergency room as well. So minor things can go are great for the urgent care. So if you have, you know, your cough, cold, flu, that is great. They can take care of that um, at the urgent care. And again, if they, you know, do the x-ray and the x-ray looks like this raging pneumonia, you're going to be sent um, to a higher level of care, which would be the emergency room. But if you've just got bronchitis, they can treat that. They're very good at that. And then they can just send you home with follow-up with your primary care doctor, right? Um, other things that are good for urgent care, like I said, if you have, you know, fallen and maybe you have some bony injury, 
um, maybe a sprain, if you have cough, cold, flu, um, if you are, let's say, out of your medication and you can't get to your doctor and you just need a medication refill. Um, that is a great, you know, great thing um, to do at the urgent care. Um, because imagine you go to the emergency room just for a medication refill, which does happen, and you're sitting there eight, 10 hours just to get a medication refill. So sometimes the urgent care can help cut down on that wait time. Because if we have the minor things at urgent care, there is room for the major things in the emergency room. And that could decrease, um, you know, the allocation of where care happens could tremendously decrease um, the wait time in the emergency room. But here is the thing. Once you come to the emergency room, I can't tell you to go somewhere else. Once you come into the emergency room, I have to take care of whatever it is that you bring me. Now, sometimes you'll get transferred out um, because I don't have what you need at that particular facility. So for example, one facility where I work, I am the only doctor in the entire building. No surgeons, no OB, no cardiology, no nothing, just me. So if you come in and you need a cardiologist, then I have to transfer you to a facility that has one. Um, and that's just, it just is what it is. So here we go. Something about turkey sandwiches. So, <laughs> um, People do come to the emergency room with a preference for what they want to eat. I don't know. I got nothing. Um, another question, uh, why can't I have something to drink when I come to the emergency room? Um, so it all depends on what you're coming for. So if you're coming for something and it may be that you're going to need to have surgery for that, and I won't know that at first. Um, and so that's why I'll tell people, no, you cannot have anything in your mouth until I know what's really going on. Because if I have to send you to surgery either at that facility or transfer you somewhere else, um, if you have not been what we call NPO or nothing by mouth, that can delay your surgical time. Or it can put you at risk for what we call aspiration pneumonia. So I'll just put that into regular speak, something going down the wrong pipe, right? and things can get down into your lungs and cause infections and you get very, very sick um, because the lungs don't like cheeseburgers in, in them. They, they just are against that, let me just tell you. Um, so that's why you can't have something to eat or drink when you first come, that's one of the reasons. Another reason, if you come in and you're vomiting, I am not going to allow you to put anything in your mouth because I don't want you to vomit anymore. Sounds simple, right? People get very, very upset with me because I won't let them eat or drink. Yeah, it is what it is. All righty, here we go. Next question. Talking about vaginal discharge that I've had for three months, not an emergency at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday. Um, so again, you're not going to, chances are you're not going to die from, from that discharge. And again, something that's been going on for three months, if it was going to kill you, it probably would have by now. The, there are exceptions to that, of course. Um, so, you know, that's one of the things, too, that, you know, if this is something that's been going on for months and months and months and months and months, chances are it is not a life-threatening emergency and it will be um, categorized as such. 
Another great question here, how is it decided that I get a doctor versus a mid-level? And a mid-level provider are your nurse practitioners and physician assistants. So in the emergency room, um, I work with tremendously talented mid-level providers um, who are extensions of what I can do. Um, A lot of the times, the minor emergency situations are handled by our mid-level providers, whereas the more major medical um, situations are handled by the physician. And sometimes in concert, because sometimes I need an extra set of hands and the mid-level will come in and support me in treating you. Um, and so that's, it's not necessarily a, a decision that the doctor doesn't want to, to be bothered with you because you can see the doctor. Um, you can request to say, you know, I don't want to be seen by a mid-level provider. I want to see the doctor. But... Keep in mind that that is going to increase your wait time because if I am involved with major medical situations, you're going to wait until I finish with those things and then I'm going to come to you. But you are welcome to, you know, to request that you can you have that right to do that. Uh, Let's see. Let's see. Is there any way to do this in less than an hour? Well, again, probably not. Um, If you are seen quickly by your physician, you're in trouble. Um, If you get in and out, there are some things that we do get in and out uh, in less than an hour. And I don't mean in and out, you come to the emergency room and you get sent home. I mean, you come to the emergency room and you either are taken directly to surgery or transferred to another facility. Um, You know, something, something like that is going on for you. Uh, So, for example, people who are coming in with acute myocardial infarctions or acute heart attacks, and that means a heart attack that I can see happening on the EKG, um, I want to get you, our goal is to get you to a cardiologist, to an interventionalist within 60 minutes. And most of the time we meet that goal. Um, So that is a situation where, yeah, you're going to be in and out of the emergency room very, very quickly, but you're not going home that quickly. Uh, Next question here. If you have rectal bleeding, so some of these questions really were really good. Um, Why can't the emergency room provider look for the etiology? So there are different specialties within medicine. And so this situation here is best handled by a gastroenterologist or a GI doctor. So the emergency room can't do everything. We don't have the equipment or even the training um, to do all of those things. And so if you are um, coming in with something that is just very highly specialized, we are going to get you to that specialty. Um, Either you will be transported there if you're having an emergency situation that requires that level of intervention, or you'll be told that you need to follow up with um, that type of doctor on an outpatient basis. But we aren't doing all of the procedures. And then let me get to this this last one here. My friend, Dr. Jared Manning Landrum, who's a fantastic dentist, put this out about how come y'all can't just pull this abscess tooth that I came to the emergency room. I can't tell you how many times people come to the emergency room for dental care. I am not a dentist. Pulling teeth is not what I do. So 
when you come to the emergency room that you are having a dental issue, I'm going to address it the best way I can, usually with an antibiotic and something for pain and maybe something for nausea. And I'm going to tell you, you need to follow up with the dentist. That is the extent of what I can do, right? So again, wait times uh, about getting admitted to a room. Uh, Let's see. Again, with the turkey sandwiches. So turkey sandwiches are a big deal in the emergency room, apparently. Uh, Why can't the ER fill out FMLA? We do not do forms of any kind in the emergency room. You might get a work excuse. That's it. I am not taking you off of your job for six weeks. I am not filling out your FMLA forms. That is a primary care thing to do. So if you need those types of uh, forms filled out, I suggest that you do not bring them to the emergency room. Uh, Let's see, this last one, last couple. Um, Can I get a 20 milligram Valium? Absolutely not. Mm Mm-mm, you can't. Uh, Folks in your household are getting on your nerves. You're going to have to find some other intervention um, for that. So, you know, people come in and they specifically request medications and doses that may or may not be safe. And uh, your physician has a obligation, a duty to first do no harm. So I am not going to give you something that potentially will kill you. Even if you ask for it, not going to do it. Uh, Let's see here. Why can't a physician just request the test I ask for? I kind of know what's wrong. Hmm. (laughs) That's a great, great question. So here it is. Um, When you come to the emergency room, uh, I have to do what's called, I have to formulate what's called a differential. So it is the list of all the things that are possibly wrong with you based upon what you tell me. And I have to order tests that will cover all of those um, potential eventualities, right? And then based upon what the results of those uh, studies are, along with my clinical exam, then I get to tell you what is wrong with you and we figure out what we do about it. So when you come to me and say, oh, I just need this test, you probably do need that test, but I have to do the other test just for the sake of completeness, Um, as well now again so what what that thing and again we like to cast a a broad net um, when we are trying to figure out and then we narrow it down to to what is really um, what is really going on with you Um, and so I I tell people all the time that when you come to the doctor we kind of are in this together and we kind of not because um, if I did exactly what you wanted me to do and only what you wanted me to do and it didn't go right or it went horribly wrong, are we going to take, and by we I mean you and I, are we going to take responsibility for that? Chances are no. Chances are you are going to say, well, you're the doctor. You should have known what to do and what not to do. You are correct. And that is why I am ordering what I feel is medically appropriate and not just what you want because you're trying to get in and out. Last thing before I give the vitamin C for the day. Um, and I just lost it just that quick. Dang it. That was going to be a good one. But maybe I'll save that for a part two because I have some other questions uh, that I did not get a chance to, to answer. But I hope that this is kind of giving you all an overview um, of 
what happens when we go into the emergency room and why things happen um, the way that they do. That is the end of our segment for today. And I'm going to do our vitamin C because I have been informed that for the past two shows, I have not given a vitamin C. And so, and so I said, okay, you got it. And, and I hadn't given one because we've had such great, great shows and such great information that we ran out of time as we're about to do now. Here we go. So the vitamin C for today, better, not bitter. In life, we always face challenges, particularly when we face health challenges. And I think the the greatest difficulty um, is, is with those types of challenges. And why is that? Um, because a lot of the times we don't ask for the illnesses that we are dealing with um, and the consequences of those illnesses. And so I will share with you, as you all know, I'm diabetic. You can see my little monitor there. And I didn't ask to be diabetic, nor do I want to be. But it is what it is, right? Um, and so that has been a challenge for me, and I'm sure it is a challenge for many of you out there that are dealing with health issues. Um, and a lot of the times, um, we didn't um, we didn't do anything in particular um, to bring on this disease. It just happens, and I think a lot about that with, for example, with cancer. You know, there isn't anything most of the time um, that someone did to bring on cancer, right? Um, and so that also is like, you know, well, why is this happening to me? I didn't do anything to, to bring this on. Um, and sometimes things just happen and we don't have a good explanation for it. So we are then left to make many choices or rather changes, changes that we don't want because I don't want to change my diet. I like sweets. I love cake. Let me just tell y'all. But I can't have cake all the time. And that makes life, you know, it makes it hard. But anyway. Um, changes that we don't want. It is easy to be angry and disappointed about what has happened to you, to question whatever higher power you believe in, or to stop believing in that higher power all altogether. But that, in my opinion, is the path to bitterness. So here's an anonymous quote. You either get better or you get bitter. It's simple. You either take what has been dealt to you and allow it to make you a better person or you allow it to tear you down. The choice does not belong to fate, it belongs to you. And so, I leave you with that. Make the choice to be better, not bitter. Thank you once again for joining me. I hope that you will join me again next Thursday at 11 a.m. right here on WWE Real 1100 AM. So until we meet again, my friends, be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Take care. This is Dr. Carissa. Thanks for joining me this week on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Join me next week for more comfortable yet in-depth conversation. Have a great week. Bye.